First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning. Whenever you get a call from the pastor on Saturday afternoon, you know you're in trouble. Now, uh, we want to be praying for our pastor, Scott, who has the bug. And uh, I am grateful that even though he had the bug, I get to preach today. And, uh, you know, this is a special day. It's Valentine's Day. Would you turn to someone around you and say, I love you in the Lord. (laughs) No kissing back there, Bruce. I saw that time. I, uh, many things that I love very much, and you might think I'd say golf and the burger place, and that would be true, but uh, I really love this church. The last 35 years of my life and our family have been invested here when I came here in 1986, and uh, you know, we had a dream of moving out to a new location and building a new church, and we did finally, after 16 years, we came here, and we really thought it'd just be four or five years before the dream would be finished, and we would build a worship center. This was supposed to be temporary. Now it has been temporary for 21 years. Uh, But I'm grateful for a church and a pastor and leadership team that has a vision of moving on forward. And I'm excited about the days ahead of us. I will be uh, a number one supporter of what God is doing here and excited about what he's doing. I also have a great love for a woman that has been part of my life for 51 years. And uh, praise God for Gail. And you know, I think God gives us our mates sometimes to humble us. Uh, When I was uh, in college, we got married my last year and I was pastoring a small church of about 25 or 30 on a good Sunday. And one Sunday I had preached what I thought was a really great sermon. And we were in the car going home and I turned to Gail and I said, how many truly great pastors do you think there are in the Southern Baptist Convention? And she responded, one more, one less than you think. So anyway. (laughs) As a way of humbling, you know, whatever. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, and I hope you have them, or something like that is said most Sundays, okay. But to uh, John chapter 8, a very familiar story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, This is a message that I have preached uh, in the last five years all over the world. It's my favorite message. And I've always wanted to preach it on Sunday morning here. Uh, I hadn't had the opportunity yet, but when Scott said, preach anything you want, I said, okay, I know what I'm going to preach on. Uh, I preached it on a Sunday night to a crowd of about 20. That's about how many we had coming on Sunday nights. And uh, there's two of them that were there that are not there. I know because my wife and Dixie are in Tampa right now. But uh, those of you who were there, I hope that you'll maybe re-remember what I preached. Uh, I can't even remember what I preached a week ago sometimes, but uh, anyway... Uh, It's a message I know that God wanted me to preach this morning. So you follow along in our Bibles in uh, John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, 
He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in his midst, in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful picture of your grace and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, like that woman, we all stand in need of that grace and forgiveness. And I pray for one that may be here today that has never, ever accepted your free gift of forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ, that today might be the day that they would say yes to him. And Father, we pray for our pastor today that you'll bless him and his family, uh, heal them, restore them, that he'll be back with us soon. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. And I pray that your spirit would use this time to touch our hearts and lead us and guide us to be men and women of grace. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think of this story, it's a very vivid picture of Jesus in the temple. And uh, he is sitting and teaching as the custom was. And as he's in the midst of a teaching lesson, all of a sudden there's a commotion and uh, the crowd parts and here come the religious leaders and thrust a woman who's scantily clad at his feet. And they say to him, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. According to Moses' law, she should be stoned. But what do you say? Now they were really testing him. They were really uh, saying, either way he answered, they thought they had him in a, in a crunch. If he said, uh, don't stone her, they could say he was not a follower of Moses. If he said, uh, don't stone her or stone her, many of the people who thought he was a messenger of grace and love would turn against him. So either way, they thought him, they had him in a box. But Jesus said nothing. He stooped down and began to write in the ground. Now, theologians have guessed and wondered and pondered for years, what did Jesus write in the ground? It's the only time we know that Jesus wrote anything. He had no autobiography. He had no... Uh, book that he wrote of his doctrine or his teaching, just what he wrote on the ground. You know, some have guessed, uh, he might have said, where is the man? <laughs> you know, if this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, there were two people involved and guilty and should be stoned, not just a woman. Uh, and yet, uh, Jesus still says nothing and they keep prompting him, well, what do you say? What do you say? And finally, Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And he stooped down and wrote again. Now, some say he might have been writing some of the sins of the men that were there that day. And they hurried away as their conscience convicted them as they saw and realized the evidence of their own sin. And finally, Jesus looks up and it's just him and the woman and the crowd out there. He said, woman, where, where are your accusers? said, they've gone, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was said there was a group of English theologians that had gathered together 
back uh, in, the, in, in the last century, and they were discussing what makes Christianity unique above all other religions. And some of them said, well, it's heaven. And others said, no, other religions have a place that uh, the dead go to after they die and are rewarded for their good works, like heaven. And some says, well, no, it's, it's hell. So no, in the same way, there are religions that teach there's a judgment to come uh, for those that do evil. And finally, uh, C.S. Lewis comes in the room and asks them, what, what are y'all discussing? He said, well, we're talking about what makes Christianity unique? He says, well, that's easy. It's grace. <laughs> it's grace. And Christianity is set apart from every other religion in its rules, its rituals, that these other religions have. How do I get to God? What must I do to get to God? Where Christianity says God has already done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and it's a free gift that God gives to us. Now, this story illustrates several lessons about grace, and I want you to learn these this morning. And the first lesson about grace is everybody needs grace. Say that with me. Everybody needs grace. Now you're going to say every point. I left out point three last time, so you'll have to say it twice for them. Okay. But everybody needs grace. You know, uh, I, I think of the story, the woman caught in adultery certainly needed grace. Uh, the man she had committed the act with, he needed grace. Those Pharisees needed grace. One thing I really love about the Word of God is that God does not hide the, uh, the sins of its heroes. The Bible is a, a true book because it, it reveals the warts in the heroes and uh, shows that every one of us needs grace. You know, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the morning in, in the garden. What, what kind of fellowship must that have been to walk with God? And yet they disobeyed the one command. God said, do not eat of the tree, that fruit, and they did because they wanted to listen to the voice of Satan who said, you'll be like God when, <clears throat> when you eat of that fruit. And they took of that fruit and uh, Adam and Eve needed grace. Uh, Noah and his family was the one family that God found favor with in the midst of a world that was totally corrupt and unrighteous. And he used them to save and start the world, the population again, as he rescued them in the ark. But as soon as the ark landed, Noah planted a vineyard and took some of those grapes, made wine, got drunk in an act uh, that was uh, ungodlike, ungodly. And Noah needed grace. Abraham is the father of our faith. Abraham lied twice about his wife, Sarah, to protect himself. And Abraham needed grace. Moses was the liberator of God's children, received the law from God. And yet Moses one time got so frustrated with the people that he was leading. When God said, speak to the rock, he struck the rock and Moses needed grace. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and murder. David needed God's grace. Peter was one of the inner circle with Jesus. And yet Peter denied Jesus three times in the time Jesus needed him most. And Peter needed grace. And Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary, the great church planter, started his life against the church and even taking people, arresting them, taking them to prison, 
and having some of them killed. He stood at the stoning of Stephen. Paul needed grace. Now, the truth is that every one of us in this room needs grace, right? We all need grace. For all have sinned. Who does all mean? Everybody. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And, and, and the truth is the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I need grace and you need grace. And sometimes we're tempted to look at people who sin and whose lifestyle is totally unbiblical. And we say, you know, I would never do that. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the sins of the children of Israel and say, how could they be so stupid? How could they be such complainers? How could they disobey God such? And he concludes that by saying, therefore, to him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So be careful when you start condemning somebody else. You may be falling in the same trap one day. And, and, and so we look at this thing of, I need grace, you need grace. Uh, I, I don't want to be like the, the woman who told her husband as they were standing in the line going to meet St. Peter in heaven. And she said to her husband, whatever you say, don't ask for justice. <laughs> and, and I don't want to ask for justice. I want mercy. I want grace. You know, if I got justice, I'd be burnt toast. And don't look at me funny, so would you. <laughs> you know, I don't want justice. I want grace. I want mercy. So everybody needs grace. Say it again. Everybody needs grace. All right, the second point, nobody deserves grace. Nobody does. Isaiah said it so well, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the iniquity of God rested on him for all of us. All of us have gone our own way. We've all done what we wanted to do with our life. Uh, we were just as guilty as Adam and Eve of saying, I want to be God of my own life. And uh, this woman uh, did not deserve grace, nor did her companion in her sin, nor did the Pharisees. One, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the story of Zacchaeus. <laughs> uh, you remember Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was despised by the whole city of Jericho. And yet he heard about a man, Jesus, coming to town, through their town, in a parade. He wanted to see Jesus, but nobody would let him. He was a short man. Nobody would let him get to the front of the crowd. But he was curious and industrious. He went ahead, knew in the parade route there was a tree he could climb. And he must have been a kind of a comical sight of a grown man trying to hide in a tree. But he couldn't be hidden as the parade went by and he said, I see Jesus. Suddenly Jesus stops right under the tree and looks up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And, you know, nobody was more surprised than Zacchaeus that Jesus would want to have lunch with him. I mean, the crowd was not only surprised, they were angry. Why, of all the people in our city, would he go home with Zacchaeus? He's a sinner. Now listen, whoever Jesus would have gone home with that day was a sinner, right? If he'd have gone home with the chief rabbi, he was a sinner. If he'd have gone home with the mayor, he was a sinner. Everybody in town was a sinner. And the truth is, we all stand guilty before God 
because of our sin. And that attitude that many people uh, have expressed to me through the years, I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> I really have done more good than bad, so I'm okay with God, and He should be okay with me. However, that's two great fallacies about God and about your sinful nature. One is the fallacy uh, is it comes short of the holiness of God, who God is, and what He demands in our life, total holiness. It also comes short of understanding the nature, the grossness, the, the, the reality of sin, the cost of sin. It took the, the blood of the Son of God dying on the cross for your sin and my sin to satisfy the just demands of a holy God. That's the cost of sin. And so we, 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 we shun the holiness of God and the cost of sin when we say, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not that bad. And so the truth is that everybody or nobody deserves grace. The third thing is that Jesus offers grace. Say that with me. Jesus offers grace. Say it again because I've missed it on the second, on the first service. Jesus offers grace. He said to the woman, where are your accusers? Uh, they've all gone. And neither do I condemn you. You know, we're so prone to quote John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And sometimes we stop there when we should go on to speak in 17 and 18, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Jesus is not into the condemnation business. In, in fact, in Romans 8, 1, Paul says, there is thou therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the spirit and not to the flesh. And so again, there is no condemnation. Now, what do we do as a church when we hear about a brother or sister that has committed some gross sin? We start gossiping. Uh, we condemn their actions. <laughs> I would never do that. Or, or we exclude them. We uh, excommunicate them from the church and the fellowship. We don't have anything to do with them. Or, or sometimes, and I think this is the majority of people are like the Corinthians in chapter 5 of Corinthians, who, uh, who Paul condemned because they kind of closed their eyes to a man who was living in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And, and, and we kind of just close our eyes and say, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so we don't say anything. We don't do anything. We don't reach out in love. We don't reach out uh, with forgiveness and, and with a message of hope to that person. And uh, that's usually uh, our attitude or often our attitude. And, uh, but yet we who have received that grace must extend grace to other people. One of my favorite parables uh, comes in the context of Peter uh, asking the question, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Now, Jewish law said three times was all you had to do. And so he doubles that, adds one, and puffs out his chest. But I'm be, aren't I being real magnanimous? And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven times, but seven times 70. Now, he didn't mean that when you get to 489, they said, one more time, buddy, and it's it. You know, that's all I have to do. 
He was saying an unlimited forgiveness that you are to give to, to people. And then he tells the parable of the man, uh, the master who had several servants, uh, one who owed him a very exorbitant amount of money in the millions, 10,000 talents. And there are many different guesses, but it was many millions of dollars, a huge amount. And, and this, he calls him on the carpet and says, look, you owe me this amount of money, pay me or I'm gonna throw you in prison. I never understood why throwing a person who owed you money in prison was ever gonna help pay off the debt. Uh, but it was uh, the practice then. And the man began to plead and beg for his life. Please give me more time. I will repay. There was no way he could repay. But the man had grace and forgiveness on the man. And uh, so he goes out and he finds a brother that owes him 100 denarii. Denarii was uh, equivalent of one day's work, a working man in those days. Uh, it would be like saying uh, one third of your year's salary, if you make $100,000, $33,000. And uh, some of you say, I wish, <laughs> you know, that was my salary. But uh, anyway, he, he, uh, he takes the guy, shakes him up and said, look, pay me what you owe me or I'm gonna throw you in prison. And the man gives the exact same response to him that he gave to his master. Listen, give me some time, I will repay. But he said, no, and he threw him in prison and his family. Well, when the other servants heard about this, they went to the master and said, look, did you, did you hear what old Joe did? <laughs> the one you forgave, that huge amount of money? And they, the master calls him on the carpet and said, look, I forgave you this huge amount. Why couldn't you forgive your brother what he did to you? That small amount. And he makes the point, what in comparison, what God has done for us, what could compare what anybody does to us? I know I have an idea. There's some people here today that are carrying a grudge. You have a, 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 a spirit of bitterness about something that someone had done to you in the past, and you just won't let it go. I tell you, we don't have a leg to stand on, folks, in light of what God has done for us and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must forgive. We must forgive. We don't have an option. When I think of my own life, I think of... Uh, a song that we used to sing years ago. Uh, I was a sinner, all covered with shame, lost and defiled with no merit to claim. Somehow God loved me in spite of my sin, bought me, redeemed me, and cleansed me within. God did a wonderful thing for me one glorious happy day. God did a wonderful thing for me when he took all my sin away. Amen? He did, took all our sin away. I've thought something about my funeral. I don't want it to be anytime soon. Don't get your hopes up. But uh, uh, I, I'd like the choir to sing, Holy is He. Not, not about me, but it's one of my favorite songs uh, talking about how holy God is. And then right after that, I want us to sing the hymn, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men, about me. Holy is He, but Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. And uh, I believe when we think about what grace we have received, that we have no option but to extend grace to other people. The last main truth I want you to see in this story about grace is that grace leads to change. Say that with me. Grace leads to change. You see, he told the woman, he didn't stop with, neither do I condemn you. That would be a false picture of Jesus who came in grace and truth. He had grace, but he also had truth. 
to remind us of who we are and what we've done, and that we are to go and sin no more. When you look at Paul and his theology on grace, many people misunderstood his doctrine of grace. They heard him say in Romans 5.20 that uh, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And said, oh, okay. If where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Let's go out and sin a whole bunch so we can see a much more of God's grace. Now, there are people today who have taken that same philosophy and said, I know that if I confess my sin, God will forgive me. He told me that. I can do it over and over again. So I know if I go out and sin and do deliberately what I know is against God's will, I can still pray and confess my sin. That's the same kind of attitude about grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace, cheap grace. And so he, he, he calls for us, he gets into chapter six of Romans right after that passage to kind of set the record straight. And notice, notice what he says here. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And this was a, just, I mean, this was as adamant as he could be. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What Paul was saying is, we don't have to continue in sin. We died to sin. And his picture in baptism, we were buried with Christ in baptism. And as Christ was buried, Christ rose, we live with Christ now. And so uh, if we had a funeral service right here and, and uh, Scott's preaching the funeral, there's a casket out there, the lid is closed. And right in the middle of the sermon, the lid pops up and the guy sits up and starts waving at everybody. We'd be making new doors out of here, you know. <laughs> Why? Because dead men don't sit up and wave. And he says, as a Christian, you are dead to the old life. You're dead to sin. That's been buried at the cross. And now the resurrected Lord lives in you and you can live victoriously. So many Christians are like the children of Israel that they have escaped the bondage in Egypt, but they never did reach the promised land. They're wandering for 40 years because they never discovered the, the, the uh, power of God in their life through faith. Or are they like people who have been uh, to Calvary on Good Friday, say, yes, I want to be forgiven of my sins. But they have never reached Easter morning and been set free by the resurrected Lord in their life. You see, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible in our own strength. We need the supernatural power of the Spirit of God, the risen Lord in us, in order to live this life. Amen? Amen? We can't do it ourselves. We need the Spirit of the risen Lord. And, and so he uh, speaks to us and says that grace demands a new life, a change in our life. And that change we call sanctification. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 2. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And often we stop there, but verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, Christ saved us 
We weren't converted and said, that's the end. Unless it's the front end. (laughs) We have a whole life to live for Him, to serve Him, to work for Him. And that's the difference in our life. There was a young boy who uh, lived in England in the 1800s when he was just a, a boy. I think five or six, his mother died and his father, who was a seaman, took him to sea with him. And there he learned the ways of the sailors. He learned to cuss like a sailor. He learned to think like a sailor, to live like a sailor. And all the immorality in the slave ship industry. There was a time when this uh, young man was captured uh, by a African princess and made a slave himself for a time till he escaped, went back to the coast and got aboard a ship. Eventually he arose to be a captain of one of these slave ships. But during a terrific storm in the Atlantic Ocean, this young man uh, feared for his life. He was reading, happened to be reading a book by Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ, when uh, he, he said to the Lord, if you'll only rescue me, I'll give you the rest of my life. He came back to England and uh, he went to uh, college, then to seminary, became an Anglican uh, pastor and also a hymn writer. And he wrote the, the most famous hymn in our English language, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton. What a story of the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to leave with you today is the question, have you experienced this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you have. I think most of you have. But it hopes that there's someone here today who will say, I need that grace. I need that forgiveness of sin. I need that assurance that if I die, I'd go to heaven. And I want to experience that grace. You know, grace has to be experienced with open hands. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You just have to receive it. Receive it. And as God speaks to your heart today, He's knocking. He says, I want to come in. Would you open the door of your heart to God's grace today? And for the rest of us, I want to challenge you to be an agent of grace today. I hope our church is known as a church of grace that we welcome all kinds of people from all kinds of background to experience the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for that amazing grace. I thank you, Lord, that you touched my life and the life of so many in this room. I thank you, Lord, that that grace is still reaching out to a hurting heart today. Someone who knows that and was willing to admit I'm a sinner and I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus who died for me on the cross. I don't deserve him. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve life. But thank you, Lord, that you offer it to me freely. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, there'll be someone who would step out in faith and say, yes, I want that grace today. I want to follow the Lord. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow him in baptism. I want to be a part of the exciting things he's doing in this world today. Lord, I pray for the courage for that person to take that step of faith right now, today, in Jesus' name, amen. 